the scene opens with a sky view of the New York City skyline. We pan to a busy street where the traffic is bumper to bumper. We turn to the sidewalks where we see the drones of people busily hurrying themselves to work or to wherever they're going. In that moment, we hear a female voice come over our speakers. Much more than a small series of isolated incidents, it's now apparent that a small organized criminal element is at work. And at the moment, business is good. So good, in fact, that there appear to be no eyewitnesses to any of the crimes. Which, with complaints ranging from purse snatching to breaking and entering, police switchboards have been swamped with the angry voices of more and more citizens who have fallen prey to the recent surge of crime that continues to plague the city. The news stops for a minute as we see two thieves pass, ha uh, pass and hand off a wallet to each other. We see a teen lean into the corner of a building outside and cross his hands over as he passes a brown leather wallet to someone wearing a spike metal glove over their hand. We hear the news reporter start again. Instead of getting better, things have actually gotten worse. Even more alarming is the baffling and even bizarre nature of these crimes. Merchandise of every size and description, from skateboards to stereo systems, have been disappearing from store shelves and storage areas at an alarming rate. We see a delivery truck and the driver talking to the recipient of the product. When he turns to his truck, he realizes the rest of the merchandise has been stolen. Even the victims themselves rarely catch a glimpse of the thieves. Many don't even know they've been victimized until it's too late. We see a woman sitting, watching a TV on her balcony. As she turns her back, a young man in a red shirt steals the TV and runs off. In fact, police have yet to come up with a single eyewitness. Only a few vague reports of young boys or teenagers at the scenes have been filed. But who has ever behind these crimes? One thing is certain. These are much more than just a series of ran random, isolated incidents. We are brought to a scene with a chain-link fence where young men are pulling themselves through a cut in the fence. We enter a large building where we see male figures from children to teens sorting through and organizing stolen products. A man who appears to be in charge passes by and says, Good! To one of the, to one of the products that these boys are holding crimes without criminals uh, invisible gangs without work who are we gonna call unfortunately the police are the only ones available to combat what some are already dubbing the silent crime wave but perhaps the most disturbing silence is that coming from City Hall April O'Neill Channel 3 Eyewitness News the scene shows April leaving the Channel 3 building. She bids the people inside a good night as she exits. The camera follows April as she enters the back parking lot of the Channel 3 building. A squeak from a rat is heard as April jumps and turns around, startled by the rodents who are crawling their way into the sewer drain. April, scared, jumps and gains higher ground. Looking around and realizing she has nothing to be scared of, she steps down from her spot. We see her reach for her keys inside her purse. As she pulls them out, she rounds a corner where she is greeted by some thieves who are robbing a truck. Bad timing. The one says, 
the one says, as April responds with, you're telling me. April starts to run as the thug uh, says to grab her, to grab her purse. One jumps down from a balcony and lands on April, pulling her down as April shouts for him to get off of her. As the noises of the, f- uh, of the fight continue, we see a sigh get thrown into a nearby streetlight, blacking out the alley. Noises of a fight can be heard as bodies are tossed around without any idea of what's really happening. The last thing that is heard before the lights uh, of the cop car show up is, Whoa. From there, we see two of the thugs tied together. One is upside down, and another one is tied up by himself. As the lights shine on the thugs, we see April sitting behind them, arm raised to block the lights from the car sitting in front of her. The camera pans over to the sewer, uh, over to the sewer cover, which is being raised. We see the scene from the point of view of the figure in the sewer. A cop approaches April and asks if she's all right, to which she responds, yes. For the first time, we see the eyes of the creature in the sewer. A red bandana is tied around his head. April, looking around, spots the sigh that had been thrown at the light. She leans over and grabs it, placing it in her purse. We hear the figure in the sewer say, Damn! In an aggressive whisper. With that, babblers, friends... Shellheads, welcome into a deep sewer dive babble for week 19, where we cowabunga dudes ourselves back into the sewers and back into the heart of New York City to discuss the first movie dedicated to those heroes in a half show, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So first, guys, let me thank you all for showing up. Um... When I first started Nerd Babble, uh, the first episodes that I did were the comics, the, um, the, uh, the toys, and the cartoons, and then I did the movies. Um, since starting that, I have come into a community of TMNT lovers, and I thought, what better way than to do my favorite turtle movie into a little bit of a deeper dive and because there's so many of you I've asked two friends to join me after um, but we can all do a little chat we can do questions from there Uh, but with that I'm going to jump in to the production of TMNT the movie The script for the original TMNT movie is based loosely on the Mirage comics with slight differences and some aspects were of course taken from the 87 cartoon, such as their love for pizza, silly catchphrases, and April being a TV news reporter instead of the lab scientist working for Baxter Stockman. The color of the turtles' bandanas were also taken from the cartoon so that the young fans were able to tell the difference and be able to relate to the characters. But, because the script followed similarities to the comic, comic fans of the Turtles could also relate to what they were seeing on the big screen. That was half the fun between the 1990 movie originally. It was dark enough and had similarities of the comic to it that original fans uh, from the 84 comic could dive into it and say, yes, this is what I wanted to see. But as the person from the you know, 87 cartoon and the 88 cartoon, 
I wanted to see, you know, Mikey stick his head in the shell. I wanted to see the bandanas and the love for pizza and all that fun stuff. So this mesh, when they first began development and production on the movie, was smart of them to kind of push it to appeal to both aspects and both um, age groups that they were trying to appeal to at the time. So the film had a budget of $13.5 million. Much of the production for the movie took place in North Carolina, with a couple of location shoots in New York City during the summer of 1989. They did this to be able to catch such iconic landscapes in New York, such as the Hudson River, Times Square, and of course, the Empire State Building. Filming in North Carolina took place at the North Carolina Film Studio, where New York rooftop sets were created. So all the fight scenes that you see with Shredder or even Raph when he's working out in that scene before the foot attack him. It was sets that they had built. Um, While in New York... uh, Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. But... uh, um, So yeah, so four months prior to filming, production designer Roy Ford Smith and his art director Gary Wisner went to New York City and took still photographs of the rooftop rooftop landscapes in New York City. While in NYC, Smith and Wisner were given access to an abandoned Brooklyn subway line because they could not gain access to the city sewer lines. They also explored a water, water tunnel, which had huge pipes running through it and gave them the idea for the sets they had to design. So although they weren't able to actually get into the New York subways to see how they were, or not subway, sorry, the New York sewers, to see exactly how they were moved or where you could put this kind of, you know, secret hide hideaway or where you could put the turtle's lair, um, they were able to go into an, uh, an abandoned Brooklyn subway station, which had the same design and the same uh, courtways and corridors that you would see, uh, I guess, in the New York sewer system. So they couldn't do it to a T, but they did what they could. After all the design sketches had been made, the construction team for the film began development of sets, which they created in the back lot of the company. With some of their ideas came conflict. It came conflict, though. The manholes that led to the turtle's home were causing problems due to the fact that an eight-foot square room had to be, be built beneath them but they found that water was rising to about five feet and thus had to pour concrete into the underground rooms to keep water from spilling into the sets. I spoke about this when I did the first run, but I think that's crazy to think that they actually built these sets and tried to make it so that the water was not going to hit, but it would have some semblance to it of being in a sewer. But to make it work, because the water started to come in, they poured actual concrete into it to make it all work. It's just super awesome what they did to make this so realistic uh, for the for the movie. It, it really just blows my mind. The Turtles costumes were developed and made by the Jim Henson Creature Shop in London, England. 
Jim Henson himself at the time said the creatures were the most advanced that he had ever worked with. The suits were first made out of fiberglass. I had no idea until I was doing the research for this. And then remolded out of clay. They were produced as molds to cast the whole body in foam rubber latex. The work at the Jim Henson's Creature Shop was completed in just 18 weeks. 18 weeks. That's all it took for them to develop the suits that we saw on in the movie. Hang on. Splinter might fall. Yeah, he's going to fall. But... Of course. Anyways, this is my point. I mean, we've all seen them. We all know what they look like. But to think that they turned this into a life-like rendition in just 18 weeks. That's it. It doesn't sound crazy, but you have to think of everything else that was going on to produce the movie. Nuts. And then this happens. And I understand why... But it's still crazy to think, and because I, I took him down. But even again, eighteen weeks to build this. What was a puppet? This was a huge puppet. Three people operated him, while one did the voice in the head. It's just nuts for me to think that they made all of this in eighteen weeks for Splinter. Um, and then this is the crazy part, and I hope it. it, it makes you guys think just as much as it made me think that such one small thing really changed the way the turtles had been developed. So huge companies at the time, such as Walt Disney Pictures, Columbia Pictures, MGM, Orion Pictures, Paramount, and Warner Brothers Studios all turned down the film distribution. They were worried that although the cartoon and the toy line were such major successes, there was still the possibility that the movie might be a box office flop because a couple of years before the Masters of the Universe movie came out and we all know how that went. The film did find distribution midway through production though. Uh, when the then small independent production company called New Line Cinema Decided to take on the production. Crazy. All these huge companies. Think about what, what would have happened if in the 90s Disney had gotten a hold of the Turtles. Let's just say. But they turned it down. Or even Warner Brothers with uh, Batman, the first Batman coming out the year prior in 1989. Warner Brothers had everything at that point. They could have done an amazing job with this Turtles movie. Turned it down because of the fear that although toys and cartoons did well, would a live action movie do as well and appeal later, right? It, it, it's just, it's nuts to think that. Now, here's the kick in the pants for everybody that said no. The film debuted March 30th, 1990. In the United States and was number one at the box office over the opening weekend, grossing more than 25 million, the biggest opening weekend for an independent movie at the time. Bet you're kicking yourself in the ass now, aren't you, Disney? Mm-hmm. You too, MGM. How about you, Warner Brothers? I think you might be thinking we made a mistake. 
The movie was a huge box office success, eventually making over $135 million in North America alone. North America alone. Oh, us. Well, and I'm sure we have more people here, but for the most part, if Ozzy's here, I'm sorry, sir. You're included in this, and good morning to you. Uh, but they did that in just North America. And $66 million outside of North America. See, Ozzy, I knew you were here. I'm telling you, buddy. You, you helped with the $66 million. That's, in, that's incredible. $200 million worldwide for a movie that huge companies said wasn't going to make it because Masters of the Universe didn't. Can you imagine being, that, being those companies and sitting back in 1990 and going... Damn, I would have, I would have kicked myself in the ass if I was somebody who was running those companies at the time and said, shit, man, we turned down the turtles and look what they're doing now. Look what Hanson did with it. Look what, look, look what this small company did with it and how big they made it. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I for sure would have been kicking myself. So, we all know that with the success of the 1990 movie, it wasn't long before sequels were put into production. A year after the original movie was out in theaters, the sequel, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Use, was released, and was released to the same reception that the original one had. It was a box office smash, it hit big, it was incredible, <clears throat> The one small, well, not small difference, but the one problem uh, older fans had uh, was that you didn't get to see the Turtles use their weapons in the second movie. It is what it is. We can't change it now. That was the one small, you know, complaint about it. Uh, in 1993, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 Turtles in Time was released to theaters and did rather poorly with both critics and fans. I think it was just so outside the box. The suit weren't the suits weren't done by the Jim Henson Company. Um, there was just a lot of changes that happened uh, for that film, and having Elias Cotes miss a run in Secret of the Ooze and come back and basically babysit these ninjas in three uh, was just a strange relation that they had made during this movie. Um, so it is what it is. What can you do? Uh, the Turtles didn't come back until 2007 with a CGI movie, which was considered to be the fourth film in the original run. Uh, a lot of people have a problem with this, but I can see it, right? They come from, but they come back and, uh, you know, Splinter says, sends Leo off on a mission. Uh, Raph, of course, is hurt because he believes that they should, you know, this is the way it should be. So he takes up the vigilante. Uh, Donnie's just lost, so he becomes a, a tech guy. And leave it to Mikey to do what the Ghostbusters did and become a silly version of himself doing parties. It is what it is. I personally really enjoyed the CGI movie. Um, it was fantastic to me. I think they did a really good job with the characters. There is the f there is the fight with 
uh, Leo and Raph on the roof that fans had been waiting for for years, whether you were a Leo fan or a Raph fan, it doesn't matter. You wanted to see that, that those brothers needed to get that aggression out on each other. It's just the way it is. Um, it wouldn't be until a, another, you know, uh, seven years before the Turtles returned to the big screen with Michael Bay's 2014 and his 2016 movie. Also, in between there, there was discussions actually before the 2007 to come out with a movie. And uh, before we get this all confused, the movie that was originally supposed to come out would have been the fourth one. And it was originally meant to be called Turtles in Time. Uh, sorry, Turtles in Time. It was originally meant to be called <laughs> NorCal. It was originally meant to be called uh, Next Mutation. So that's where they got the idea for the 1996 show. Uh, Next Mutation, that title anyways. But the original one, the original concept for that movie was that uh, the Turtles all went through a more aggressive uh, mutation. Donatello, for instance, lost his eyesight or was losing his eyesight, so he was wearing these big goggles. But he gained the ability for telekinesis and... um, uh, Yeah, telekinesis and... Uh, psychic abilities. <laughs> Check it out. I, I'm, I'll tell you, Narcal. Um, there's also uh, Raph becomes more feral, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. He becomes more primitive. Uh, Splinter actually kind of becomes younger and he becomes a more uh, agile and uh, more supreme fighter than what we saw in the uh, first runs. In the first two or three movies. Uh, Leo, I can't remember for the life of me. And I can't remember Mikey's either. Uh, just Donnie and... Um, Donnie and Raph really stick. However, the one thing that I wish really would have happened with this was... And you can see... You can find pictures. Uh, Kevin Eastman himself has uh, has spoken about this movie that was supposed to be made. Um, Kirby who is the original fifth turtle, uh, was supposed to appear in this. And he was going to be dedicated to the great comic book artist, Jack Kirby. Uh, it, the, the turtle was going to be named after him because all four of the other ones that were named after Renaissance painters, well, you would name this fifth turtle, Kirby, after the man who developed what we know as comic book art style. Uh, again, it's available anywhere to check out. Um, there is a, a ton of content on YouTube. Um, there's write up write up write ups about it. Sorry, on uh, Wikipedia, and I know it's not all trustworthy because you know fans can put in what they want. But th- there, you can find them there, and um, and yeah, uh, Kevin Eastman has spoken about it. Uh, there is actual sketches of what the turtles were meant to look like after these mutations. This is where uh, this live-action TV show that came out in 96 came from, that idea of the next mutation. That's where uh, that's the basis for it anyways. Uh, I think the movie would have been a better idea if they had stuck with it and turned that into a TV show instead of us getting Venus and 
you know, everything like that. Um, so <laughs> there is a lot of talk about uh, people who have played the Turtles or who have, uh, or what they did. And doing research during this movie, uh, during this movie, during this run, there's a lot of stuff that um, I think most of us, even even us diehard fans, may not be aware of, right? So I'll get into the live acting cast first, right? We know Judith Hogue played the one and only, the beautiful April O'Neil. Renee Jacobs played the voice in the cartoon, yes, but Judith Hogue is my April. Um... Yeah, it, it pained me when somebody else took over the role in Secret of Ooze, but it is what it is, but yes, I love Judith Hogue, she's amazing. Uh, Elias Kotes played the one and only, the hockey stick-wielding, the cricket bat-wielding Casey Jones. Uh, the gentleman named Jay Patterson played Charles Pennington. You'll recognize him as April's boss, you know, the jackass that fired her over the, uh, the answering machine. Uh, Michael Turney played Danny Pennington, or Dan at the end of the movie, because he doesn't want to be called Danny, which would be uh, Charles' son, who is also one of the recruits for the Foot Clan. Uh, Raymond Sarah played Chief Stearns. I feel this guy gets really underrated uh, as an actor for the role. He was awesome. He played this perfect, angry dude, uh, you know, peeved off with April because she was trying to prove that he wasn't doing anything when he thought he felt like there was nothing really to go with because of what April said. Uh, it's just incredible the the underrated, how, how underrated this guy is for the acting in that movie. It was only for a couple of scenes, but I really, really do enjoy Raymond Sarah's, uh character of Chief Stearns. I, I thought he did an awesome job, personally. Uh, you guys know him, James Saddle, he did the one, the only, Shredder, and Tashishiro Obata played Tatsu. Uh, what I didn't realize is that Tatsu and James Sato did not voice their characters. Uh, there was somebody else who voiced them, so, uh, the voices, uh, Brian Taki. Tachi, sorry, was the voice for Leonardo. Uh, Josh Pius played Raphael, and as a Josh, whose favorite turtle is Raph, I'm a happy man. This blew my mind when I realized it later on as a kid, but Corey Feldman of Corey and Corey played the voice of Donatello, and Robbie Rist was the voice of Michelangelo. Uh, Kevin Clash was Splinter. For you parents out there, you even for the generation of people that was that were watching um, Sesame Street during the eighties and the nineties, you may not know this, but Kevin Clash is the puppeteer and the voice behind Elmo. So even before you knew him as Master Splinter, you probably knew him as Elmo. Just saying. Uh, David David McCarran was the voice of Shredder, and Michael McConaughey was uh, Master Tatsu, and I love this because although Tatsu didn't have many lines in the movie, we will always remember, go, play, <laughs> that, and ninja vanish, 
when they're in April's uh, antique store. <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like we should go back and do uh, an origin story of Tatsu. Like even a movie or a comic or something to find out why he ended up with Shredder, why he moved from Japan to go with, you know, Orokusaki to go and form this Foot Clan. Because obviously he must have come from, to me, he must have come from Japan during that time, right? His The gear, everything. He looks like an old school, um, you know, ninja. He looks like an old school ninja from Japan. That's just the way I feel about it. But I love Tatsu. That... <laughs> Uh, the first time I watched it with my son, I think he learned that go play because it, it's, it's stuck in my head since I was a kid. Um, then we had the turtles in the suits. David Foreman was Leonardo. Leif Tilden was Donatello. Michael Sisti was Michelangelo. Kevin Clash was also the puppeteer behind Splinter. Josh Pius was... The man in the suit and also the voice. But Ken Traum was the martial arts stunt double. So what most people don't know is that each of the turtles also had stunt doubles that did the martial arts scenes. When, say like David Foreman wouldn't be in the suit doing the fight scenes as Leo. He was there when, you know, they came back from the first fight where they meet April or where they save April. And... You know, Leo comes in, he goes, uh, there were many, but we kicked their, you know, and then he kneels. That would be, that would be David Foreman in that. But when they were out fighting, it would have been a different guy. And I had no idea until I looked into it, how many people were actually behind the characters that we, you know, that we love. I'm sure all of you know this, uh, coming here and listening to me babble about this, but all four actors who portrayed the turtles in the suits also did a cameo in the movie with, without the suits, just being themselves, right? Now, David Foreman, who played Leo, was a Foot Clan thug. Michael Sisti was the great pizza delivery guy. So when Mikey's taking the pizza from the pizza delivery guy who's going 122 and an 8... 122 and an 8. What the heck is 122 and an 8? You're standing on it, dude. It's the same guy. It's the same It's the same guy. I mean, obviously, they filmed it in different parts and whatever, but the guy passing the pizza is also the guy receiving the pizza. Pretty cool, I think, right? Um, Donnie was a messenger for the Foot Clan, so Leaf Tilden, who, uh, who portrayed Donnie, was a messenger for the Foot and Josh Pius is the passenger in the cab when Raph is chasing Casey and rolls over. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> same idea, I guess. Raph's in the cab and Raph's rolling over the hood of the car, of, of the cab. This just blows my mind to think that they gave them the option and the ability to come back and perform outside of the suits, say hello, you know, do these little, excuse me, cameo scenes, if you will. I think it was really great. And I think, you know, growing up and finding out this little, this little bit of information as I went, um, I think it's just great that they 
that they got to do this, that they were able to say, you know, uh, or that who, when they wrote the script, they said, hey, guys, we're going to do these scenes. Would you guys like to come in and, you know, play yourselves in a sense, right? Like, I mean, obviously, if you watch Josh, Pius is credited as a uh, cab passenger, right? Or, and, um, uh, who is it? Uh, Michael and so Michael and not Michael, Michael and Sisty, uh, who played Michelangelo is credited as the pizza delivery guy, right? And so on and so forth. Um, Eastman and Laird also make a cameo in the movie. Um, there's a lot that when you go back and you're older and you really want to sit down and take a peek at it, there's so much that they put in this as Easter eggs for fans for years and years and years and years and years to come. So guys, you guys know as well as I do what the heck the movie was about. But I never really thought about it until I started actually reading and going through everything. Uh, as a kid, I just thought it was the Turtles versus Shredder. That was my idea. I didn't think anything else of it. It was the Turtles versus the Foot and Shredder. That's the way it was. But really, it's the Turtles trying to save Splinter. Splinter's taken pretty much at the beginning of the movie... They go back to April's place, you know, the antique store, the fire, they go to, the, they go to April's uh, farmhouse, they stay there for a while, they come back, and it's Danny and Casey who go and save Splinter. Technically, right? Well, I mean, I mean, the Turtles are trying to battle Shredder and, you know, the Foot Clan, that's, that's their job, and I, and I completely appreciate it. But I never, I never really understood why, or I, I never understood the idea that that's truly what it was. It was about the turtles trying to save Splinter. I always just thought it was, you know, good versus bad. And it is. It, it's, a, it's a very normal concept for any kind of movie. Um, but yeah. So as a crime wave rises in New York City, reporter April O'Neil correctly theorizes that the mysterious Ninja Foot Clan is behind the rising chaos. The Shredder, the Foot Clan leader, orders April silenced. She is attacked by the Foot in a subway and knocked unconscious. Raphael, the Ninja Turtle, emerges from the shadows, defeats the Foot, and carries her to the Turtle's hideout, unaware that one Foot has been following him. Splinter, explains to April that he and the turtles were once ordinary animals, but were mutated into intelligent creatures by toxic waste and later trained by Splitter in the art of ninjutsu. After the turtles escort April home, they find their hideout ransacked and Splinter kidnapped. They return to April's apartment and spend the night there. I want to stop only because... Um, there is a great scene that happens when Raph first brings April home. And Leo says, are you crazy? And Raph turns and goes, yeah, Leo, I'm crazy. Okay, I'm loony. Uh, I wanted to redecorate. Okay, a couple of throw pillows, a TV news reporter. That, it gets me every time because it's Raph's sarcasticness behind it, right? He's like... Listen, what do you want me to do? Leave her alone? Leave her there to die? What did you think was going to happen, right? So, um, so yeah, they, uh, 
you know, it, it's rap sarcasticness. Like, Leo, you would have done the same if you were in my situation. It, it makes me laugh every time when you start to think about it like that. Um, so Danny, the delinquent son of April Supervisor Charles, works for the foot. After bailing Danny out of jail for robbery and truancy, Charles stops at April's apartment where Danny glimpses one of the turtles hiding. He reports this to the Shredder. Which turtle was it? It's Mikey. He was under the table. And then he puts it in, then he puts it in place with the teddy bear. Who's the turtle in the shower? I wish you guys could actually answer this and it would pop up right away. But it's Donnie, right? Uh, yeah, because then Donnie hangs from the top when Charles goes to grab the towel for April. And then she, April says, uh, I don't want you seeing my unsightly, what is it, rings? Yes, that's what it is. So, uh, so after an argument, and we all know the argument, uh, so that's all planned from our great leader. I never said I was your great leader. Well, you sure do act like it sometimes. And then you hear, <laughs> and then it, it gets even better because then you have Donnie and Mikey going, fight, fight, kitchen, kitchen. And then you see Raph leave and then he goes, pork grind, pork grind. Fantastic. These are the scenes that have stuck with me since I was five years old and watched it for the first time. After the fight, Raph goes to the roof of April's apartment building where the foot ambush him. And he turns around and, of course, because it's Raph, says, I hope there's more of you. Or, you know, uh, or actually that's later in the movie. Sorry, that's, it's, you know, it, it's still Raph is very cocky during this fight when he first steps into this and realizes that he's taking on half of them. Well, there's a bunch more coming in, right? Good answer. Good answer. So... Uh, Raph is knocked unconscious, and the turtles scramble to defend themselves, assisted by... Who the heck is that? Wayne Gretzky? On steroids? So Casey comes in to help them while they're fighting in the antique store. The building catches fire during the fight because of an axe that the Foot Clan chop, and it sparks, and it causes... Yeah. Um... The turtles retreat to an abandoned farm belonging to April's family. Raph recovers and the turtles train while April and Casey fall in love. Leo contacts Splinter through astral projection and the turtles return to New York to rescue him. That's a little underdeveloped, right? I mean, it wasn't just Leo. Leo heard him go, Leonardo. Leo runs back and they're playing Trivial Pursuit. The rest of the turtles are tri tri playing Trivial Pursuit and... Um, Leo says, uh, he's alive. Who's alive? Splinter, Splinter's alive. We all know he's alive, Leo. And Leo turns around and goes, but I know. And then they have the great campfire scene. And if that stuff doesn't make you cry, where is your heart? That scene of Splinter telling his, um, explaining his love and how proud he is of his sons is incredible. And should just be examined that way. Well, he couldn't have projected... He projected himself through the fire, really. Like, that's where you saw his form. His voice was more of a Jedi mind trick, I, I want to say, right? It's like Luke calling Leia when he's hanging off the... When he's hanging off the plaque at, uh, on Bespin in Cloud City. 
I, I feel like that's more of the way Splinter did that. And I feel that Splinter only connected to Leo because he was the leader and he and was always open to that, right? Leo's always open to that kind of idea and knew that he had more to train on. Wrath would have been scared and wondered what the hell was going on. Donnie would have found a scientific explanation behind it on why it wasn't really Splinter. And the boys would have just called Mikey nuts. But you believe your leader. Leo comes, exactly, while meditating. Leo comes back and says, hey, this is what's going on. But now, guys, sit back and I want you guys to picture this. Because if you're like me, you're going to hear it and you're going to see it in your heads. Casey and April are sitting on the porch. Uh, Casey and April are swinging. And April asks him about if he really played hockey. Casey says yes before he had toward knee. And then you go, and then you hear the drills go. <clears throat> and Casey comes up and he's scared and he, you know, he looks and he says, I hate it when you guys do that. And then April says, what's up? Can you hear the music yet? Because then Leo goes, it's time to go back. And you hear the music. If you don't hear that music, when you hear it's time to go back, my friends, we need to go watch this movie more and more. We, we need to enlighten you some more on the greatness that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, uh, Danny has recently been taking counsel from Splinter, who tells him the story of his master, Homato Yoshi's murder, by a rival ninja named Horoko Saki, over the love of a woman, while Splinter was an ordinary rat. During the struggle, Splinter's cage was broken, and he lunged at Saki's face, clawing and biting him. Saki threw Splinter to the floor and took one swipe with his katana slicing Splinter's ear. When Danny learns the Shredder intends to have Splinter killed, he and Casey set him free. Splinter reveals to the other teens who have been recruited by the foot that Shredder has been brainwashing them to do his dirty work. Realizing this, they all come back. They all give up on the foot. Again, great scene. Casey, golf club, never called golf with dull game again, and he kisses the driver. The fight with Tatsu is awesome, Casey, you know. You know, use a little bit of experiment there. Uh, there's so much about this that as you read the plot and the descriptions and everything, it just it stands out in your head, right? While this is going on, the turtles are up on a roof fighting the shredder. They're you know, and they're getting killed, man. They they don't do so well, uh, especially when Leo finally goes, you know. This guy knows where Shredder is, or this guy knows where Splinter is, and they take off and they go to attack first. <sighs> what were you thinking? Like, calm down. So the turtles engage in the f engage the foot in battle, easily defeating every Foot Clan ninja. But upon facing the Shredder, he defeats them single handedly. As the Shredder prepares to kill Leonardo, Splinter appears and challenges him to a fight. Splinter names Shredder as a Roku Saki. Saki removes his mask. Touches the scar, remembering how Splinter gave it to him. Saki looks up and goes, Now I will finish what I began with you, oh yeah! And so Shredder charges Splinter to spear him. Splinter 
ensnares the Shredder's Yari with Michelangelo's nunchuck, leaving him dangling over the roof's edge. In a final attempt to kill Splinter, Shredder throws a tunnel at Splinter, but when Splinter reaches to catch it, his grip is released and Saki falls into the garbage truck. Casey pulls the lever and goes, whoops, to activate the compactor, crushing the Shredder. As the police and media arrive and arrest the foot soldiers, the teens tell the location of the foot hideout, which is, if you listen, it's Eastman and Laird. They named the two creators of the, uh, of the comic, or of the turtles themselves, right? Uh, Charles is reunited with his son, Danny, and gives April her job back. Charles gives April her job back. Danny gives... Um, April, his, her money back that he stole, reunited with Splinter. The turtles watch as April and Casey kiss. And also one of my favorite lines, way to go, Casey. Raph up on the building, right? Saying way to go, Casey. And um, uh, April saying, uh, I have a job to do. So you just shut up and kiss me. That's always great too. Um, but there's also the the fight with Splinter and Shredder and... Uh, Shredder, you know, going all haywire. And during this whole time, Splinter's calm and telling him that something worse waits for you. For when you die, you will die without honor. And then he falls. Straight up, Splinter calls the death and tells him, you're going to die without honor because of what you did and what happens. I wouldn't say it was very honorable of Casey to crush his head. But we all know he came back in Secret of the Ooze, so... But with that, my friends, my babblers, we come to an end of our look into the 1990 TMNT movie. I really enjoyed going back and looking at some of the information over again. It was fun to write a full script dedicated to my favorite Turtles movie. Um... I mentioned this at the beginning, but if you guys had any questions, uh, my favorite turtle is Raph. Uh, but as I get older, I think my favorite character is Splinter. I know everyone loves Splinter, but I, I don't think we really look at him the way he should be. Uh, he's dad. And I guess maybe now because I am a dad and I take his words more seriously uh, than what I did... Uh, I guess I just really have this connection to Splinter now. Um, and Casey, because Casey's the human aspect of it, right? Those three characters are the ones that have spoken to me since I was, you know, three and watching the, the cartoon. Um, my favorite movie from all of them is this one. Uh, I think probably because my dad took me to the movies to see it like he did with everything and uh i don't think he expected it to be as dark as it was but he said he will never forget my uh my expression when i saw raf's head peek out of the sewer tunnel at the sewer sewers for the first time he said it was like watching uh he said that will always be one of his favorite memories is just me being like hmm? right my dad <laughs> but um if you guys paid attention this these past couple of or yesterday I did a vote on if we should cover Secret of the Ooze or if I should do this secret nerd babble run. 
Uh, and with a 63% vote, the secret Babel won. So next week, my friends, we're going to take a little break. Why, you may ask? Well, my reasoning for this is the next Babel is going to be a long, deep dive into something I love. Um, and I am going to say that, no, Jess, it's not Star Wars. So I'm sorry to disappoint all my Star Wars fans. Uh, but I promise I, I will be doing Star Wars at one point. Uh, these next episodes are going to be for sure passion-driven by me. I'm going to be teasing what the next run will be, but it won't be fully announced until probably next Saturday. Uh, and by then, I might have a little surprise to show off for the run. Not sure yet. It depends on a friend uh, that I'm hopefully working with. Um, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this very, very simply. I did the Turtles. Um, I said it's not Star Wars. If you know me, uh, and I'm sure most of you do a lot now, uh, there's one thing that I absolutely love. Um, and it's not, it's not one thing. It's a company uh, that I love, that I'm going to be doing and breaking down for you guys. But until I get into this awesome Babel Run, um, I want to wish everybody right now peace, love, and happiness with everything going on. There's just so much. So I just want you guys to be safe, to be healthy, to make sure your <laughs> family is safe and healthy, that you guys are living for yourselves and nobody else. Um, and with that, I say what I always say, Babylon.